Are we recording? Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Welcome to RevOps 500, where we invite the world's top marketers to answer the tough questions facing growing organizations. Ooh, sounds important. I'm Sajil Qureshi. And I'm Gil Fay. Join us as we dive deep into the world of RevOps. We'll be learning strategies and expertise from first-hand experience. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Computech. They provide technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Sajil Qureshi here with another episode of RevOps 500, where we interview some of North America and the world's greatest uh, B2B RevOps experts. Today, I am uh, extremely excited because we have a tech industry expert, a expert in full go-to-market strategy, and yeah, was recently honored as a member of Utah Business's 40 Under 40, Brandon Bussey. Welcome to RevOps 500. Awesome. Thanks, Sergio, for having me. Yeah, no problem. Happy, uh, happy you're here. Uh, Brandon, let's get right, right into it. So what is one RevOps myth that you can share with our listeners? RevOps is such a broad discipline. And I think sometimes we get trapped that we need to be experts on everything, right? And the reality is, you know, even when I'm looking for folks to hire onto my team or, um, you know, as I'm working with peers, some of the advice that I always give is like, don't try and do everything, right? Figure out where you're good at and understand kind of the full RevOps spectrum and say, hey, like, for example, I love technology and I can kind of think high level, but I'm not one that's going to get in and code in Salesforce, right? That's just not my skill set, right? So when I'm building a team or looking to run a project, I make sure that I supplement um, my experience with those that it's their expertise, right? Because, and then on the flip side, I've met a lot of people that are really good on that technical side, but maybe not as good on the strategy side or on the analytics side. And so understand where your strengths are and then understand where you're not as strong and then supplement that, right? There's nothing wrong with bringing someone in. It doesn't make you like less capable. I mean, it's much better. I've always been a big proponent of like, Let's get to the right answer. I don't care how you get there. I care that you know how to get there. And that a lot of times means bringing in the right resources. It doesn't mean you like fumbling and trying to figure it out yourself. Got it. So in RevOps, you don't have to be everything. You don't have to be the salesperson, the marketing person, the customer success guru, the right. developer, all those sorts of things. Exactly. Exactly. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, no, you're you're on the strategy side, obviously. You're more on on those sorts of things. So how, how do you how do you handle resourcing that? If people say, well, you know, I've, there's a budget for everything, Brandon. We expected you to do everything. I mean, how do you yeah. how do you get through all that? You have to be one. Start with being honest with yourself, knowing where you have strengths and where areas that you know you're not as strong. Um, and then look at the resources you got. Right. If, for example, say I'm building a RevOps organization and I have budget for you know one leader, I'm gonna definitely hire and spend my money for me personally on that like Salesforce leader, right? Or that kind of technical leader, because that's like where is going to be the most bang for the buck. And I can cover the rest of it. And then, you know, my next hire is probably going to be someone that's, you know, probably going to run some of the more like the, the, like the commission side and some of those types of things. Um, because then I can focus a bit more on kind of the analytics and strategy, which is more my strength. So you kind of have to just work with what you got. So that's one piece is kind of be strategic about how you hire and using what you have and then be open and honest, right? On the flip side, if, you know, my manager generally, like I've reported to CROs, if my, my, my CRO comes in and says, okay, you get budget for one leader. I'm going to be very transparent about what, what I can deliver and what, like, I'm going to have to prioritize, right? And so that's where it's like becomes really important in that transparency. I've always worked in kind of the OKR system, but you can 
do it in anything, right? As we build our quarterly goals, that's where I sit down and say, look, here's 10 things we really want to work on. The reality is with the heads that we have, I can do these three. Do you agree that they're the right three? Um, and if that individual starts pushing back saying, well, I really need all 10, it's like, okay, well, I need more resources. I can't like, sure, we can maybe do some, you know, some, a couple big sprints and pushes. I shouldn't use the word sprint, right? That can be kind of confusing, but we can do a couple like mad dashes um, to maybe add another one or something, but to get all 10, it's just not good. We just don't have the head count, right? And so having those frank and direct conversations is another really important aspect of the role. It sounds like what you're saying is it's about setting the expectation properly, but what can be done and also knowing your own strengths and weaknesses. If you have, say, these three things, one of them could be, you know, coding, uh, you know, co- coding the whole engine and it re- might require, you know, some, some webhooks knowledge, some technical knowledge, whatever. And if you don't have that, then you need to staff for that or to augment that somehow to get that done be- because you, you could set up the, you can architect the whole thing. But then yeah. knowing what you what you need to do, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you have to solve for yourself, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One other thing, too, I'll just throw in there, and especially even if you're early in your career, is, I mean, this applies to any discipline, but I think really in RevOps um, is start to create, and this is going to be a dated reference, but like the Rolodex, right? Or the, mm-hmm. the contacts of individuals that have various skill sets. Even if you're not hiring, it's always good to be talking to folks. Um, or even if you're junior, just like getting to know people, because guess what? At some point you're going to run into a problem that you don't have experience or the skill set and that individual that you had met with once. And maybe you just need like, Hey, can I pick your brain for 30 minutes, take you out to lunch or grab coffee or something like that? Great. Or it could be, I mean, I've kind of, I've had this running joke in my career that I like to, you know, hire people multiple times. Right. And Mm. in a very respectful way, I'm not like going to go poach my previous employers and things like that. But, but on the flip side, like really st- kind of staying in con- contact with those individuals and bringing those folks where it's like, hey, this person has this exact skill set that I need right here, right? And so like building up that like panel of individuals that you can pull on, whether it's in a contract basis, whether it's full-time, whether it's just like, hey, I need to pick your brain for 30 minutes, um, mm-hmm. that, that makes you really powerful. And it goes back to like, there's certain disciplines where you know, you can have all this skill set and the knowledge, like no one's ever going to have the skill set in RevOps, right? It's just such a broad discipline. And so it's less about you knowing specific things, but knowing about where to go find that information. So the RevOps Rolodex, yeah, that's a, that's a modern term with a, with an old, <laughs> but it's a, it's a good one. I mean, and, and how do you, and I mean, do you just build this Rolodex out the same way you'd build out any sort of a Rolodex or I mean, how, yeah, how do you? Exactly. I mean, part of it is like people you work with, right? especially if you're early in your career, like you might be siloed off over into some, you know, you do territories or something like that. Very specific. People always ask me as an intern, what's the best advice you can give me? I'm like, just be bold and ask for time, right? Now be respectful of those, like go and ask the CEO maybe, or it depends on the size, you know, size of the company, but go and ask a leader and say, Hey, can I have 30 minutes where I can just pick your brain and learn about your career? Right. So don't be afraid to do that. Not just, and, and it doesn't always have to be upward, right? Do the same thing with, even though I'm over here in this this category, like I want to learn about some of these other disciplines within mine and even outside of Revo. So that's one um, is just don't be afraid to ask and just make those connections. And two, like there's a lot of kind of networking um, opportunities within this this sphere of influence uh, within this discipline. Uh, you know, there's one of my favorites is the Modern Sales Pro listserv, right? And they do great events. Um, it's free. Um, there's, there's a bunch of communities popping up, be a, be a participant in them, right? 
um, jump in, um, be active, and and don't just like look at the email or or the the, the newsletter, whatever you want to call it, or go to an event, but be active and say, hey, um, Sajil, so you said something that was really interesting. Like, hey, can I jump on a Zoom for 30 minutes, pick your brain? I want to learn a little bit more about you and about the role. So just be that kind of proactive, leverage those networking events. Um, and then one of the things too that um, I think a lot of my peers um, fail to fail to leverage is most of us are in like venture backed companies, right? Well, they have a portfolio. They're always happy to introduce you. And so one of the things that we've, you know, in, in kind of multiple roles that I've been is like leveraging the existing portfolios. It's a great way. Hey, I'm trying to run, we're building new comp plan and we're running to this, this, and this, you know, have, you know, work through your appropriate channels, but say, Hey, is there another portfolio company um, that we can engage with and just pick their brain for 30 minutes. And I've gone both directions, right? Been the person that's picking people's brain and have my brain picked. And it's just really valuable. And it's created a lot of meaningful relationships over the, over my career with that. So, I mean, that's a, uh... Yeah, that, that's, that sounds like you know a, a pretty standard networking way. It's not that RevOps is any yeah. different than any, no. anything else. Let's go back to something else you said earlier. Now you said like you know you would be the one doing the strategy, but you know you would wouldn't want to be the one maybe coding in the CRM anything with you know development or like in a programming language or something like that. So in in your world, what what keeps you up at night technically? Then I mean, you know, it's got to be a lot of things because you know you're not doing that on your own, right? Yeah, so- for me, it's less about. The like technical challenges because I don't know. In my career, I've engaged with a lot of really smart people, and they can pretty much figure out any problem I've ever thrown at them. Right from a technical aspect, it's the probably the biggest thing from a from the technical side is actually the the like change management, the adoption side. That's where almost ninety nine percent of these problems fail. It's not because we didn't develop a good product. It's we didn't roll it out right. We didn't train the the individuals. Um, I mean, sure, there's problems that maybe aren't fully thought through and break other things. But I mean, I've every team I've ever worked with can go solve that really quickly. It's, hey, we're trying to roll out CPQ or we're trying to roll out this new kind of- um, Statistic. Yeah, you name it, right? Um, this new mm-hmm. module, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how do we do that? Make sure that they're trained, they can adopt it. Um, and we think through about that. That's probably more about what keeps me up at night than than the actual technical implementation. So let, let's talk about the you know adoption adaptability. How do you how do you get through that 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 gridlock? Then I mean, what do you what do you do? I'll be totally transparent here. A lot of this is learning from my own mistakes, uh, and you know I've botched it probably more times than I'm starting. I've gotten it right in the past, and now I I feel like I've learned from those. Um, it obviously is going to depend on the size of of the rollout, but if it's a large rollout, like you need some sort of champion, right, in this process. So. Like if you're, let's just take CPQ, for example, because that one just tends to be one of the most difficult rollouts I've ever seen. But if you're bringing them in, you have to like, or if you're rolling this out, like in advance, bring in some sales sellers, you know, some of your key sellers, some of your sales leaders and really help them understand and have them like contributing in the process, like have them do some user testing. And now you have to be respectful of their time. You also don't want to like have this whole team, but like that's, it seems like a no-brainer, but I think so many times we're just so rushed, we skip that and think, oh, it'll be okay. So that, But that's really critical. Second piece is when you're rolling it out, really take time to explain the why um, and explain what it is and what it isn't, right? Because one of the things that I think often falls why CPQ rollouts and other rollouts as well fall flat is that it's not just like a straight cutover. It's not like, hey, we used to do um, create orders or, you know, uh, 
uh, quotes this way and now we're doing it this way. It's you're oftentimes rolling in other initiatives as well. And you need to explain that, right? Hey, we're bringing in CPQ not only to hopefully make your life better on creating orders and creating quotes, but we're also adding approvals now because we, you know, as we mature, we need to, you know, have these things locked down. You know, we're thinking about an exit. So this is a really critical step and really explaining that um, and helping them understand. I think I've seen some uh, less than effective CPQ rollouts in my, in my stage where I didn't clearly explain, hey, yes, like there's, you're going to see some inefficiencies, but you're also going to see some, in, like we're introducing friction to the system at the same time and be very clear about that and why. Um, and that's, that's a really important piece. Then like when you roll it out, um, like the, the one-on-one or like the, the intimate setting, I think is really critical, right? If it's a big rollout, like going team to team, even if it's gonna, I mean, I remember when we rolled out CPQ at my last engagement, like we were literally in like so many team meetings, but it made such a difference as opposed to if you're sitting in like some big Zoom call with 200 reps, it's not gonna be as effective. And and then like comes the follow-up, right? And this is pretty standard. This is where you leverage like an enablement person um, that can really help you think through, okay, how do we roll it out? How do we create it into like consumable? What's so difficult about CPQ is like, it's kind of all or nothing. It's hard to like say, okay, we're going to roll it out into like bite-sized chunks. Um, and so that's where, uh, you know, I think it's really, really important. I think where we screw up in tool, tool rollouts is we need to think about like, what are the one or two things that I want you to walk away from this training knowing how to do? If I try and teach you everything the tool does, like you're going to learn nothing. So it's kind of like, you know, the pre-work, get the champions, get the buy-in, even maybe help them be able to train. Then when you roll it out, explain the why um, and like what it is and what it isn't. And then like at the end, it's just like there's lots, you know, lots of follow-up, um, creating a support structure because they're going to have questions. Make sure you've got like help desks and ways that they can get answers. And it maybe seems pretty standard, but just being really methodical about that, I think makes a big difference. Yeah, so you know you've got your your CPQ rolling out like something like this, uh, where you have to get to the why and then go step by step with some sort of a plan. makes a makes a lot of sense. So obviously, that's a it's it's, it's it still is a very complicated thing to to get done just because of everybody who needs to be involved. And right. let's talk about that. So now, I mean, you're you're creating work for people. I mean, when you're rolling rolling this thing out, how did you get around something like that when you know you you are creating work and you know, they're like, well, why are you create why are you give me work to do? I mean, there's friction, right? It's a great question because I think, you know, I always use, I've always joked that RevOps, you touch pretty much every organization in the company, yeah. except maybe like engineering, right? You usually work through product or something like that, but you're working with pretty much everyone in the company. It's such a cross-functional discipline. Um, you've got to learn, like this is, I don't say table stakes, but a really critical skill set to be able to be effective. And I think it comes down to like bringing them into the process, helping them understand the why. Like if, if I come in, as RevOps and say, I want to roll out CPQ, just using this example, like it's dead in the water. I've got to make sure our CFO, our CRO, like those folks are bought in first and then, you know, bring in the accounting folks that are going to be imp- impacted, folks dealing with RevRec, billing, yeah. all that type of stuff. They need to be like, have a seat at the table um, to make sure that they can contribute and understand the why. Um, and then it becomes much easier because then you feel like instead of a you know, RevOps is rolling out this new thing. It's like, hey, as a company, this is a, a huge goal for us. 
And we're all working together to kind of tackle it. Yes, RevOps is driving it, but like this is a company initiative, right? Something like CPQ that's super cross-functional, like the more you can get like the company buy-in, the better. Got it. Yeah. And that makes that makes total sense. I mean, it, but it, it does have, you do have to go into each person one by one, almost each group one by one and, and figure yeah. this thing out. Yeah. So let's let's talk, let's talk about the future a little bit of, of RevOps. Do you see, do you see like how do you see the the function changing? Do you see like the same challenges, the same not challenge? I mean, do you see the same technology issues? Do you see those things happening or, or do you see the future changing at all? I, I mean, it's interesting because it is like pretty topical given a lot of the kind of AI push over the last really like six months. And AI has always kind of been in our space, but I think it's really becoming um, a big driver. Um, but then it is interesting because I think it's it's ever evolving, right? Because I think about when I started in RevOps, it was very much like, I don't want to say spamming accounts, but it was like, put drop someone into like an outreach campaign or one of these revenue automations. It's like very generic. And that just doesn't work anymore. So it's like yeah. sellers have to like constantly be evolving. And it's that's just nature of the business. Now it's AI. And so as RevOps, you constantly have to be comfortable with change and constantly be evolving. Um, and so at, with the future, like, I mean, change is inevitable. Like things are, new technologies are going to come out. It's all about, in my mind, is like, how can you get the sellers selling more and selling more effectively. Like that's that's really what it, what it comes down to, right? And so whether AI is gonna help you do that or some sort of automation, like that is always gonna be, um, can we find our audience more quickly when they're looking? Um, and then can we, like when we do find them, like how efficiently are we engaging? Are we, and a lot around the customer experience, are we engaging the way they want to? Any tools around that um, or processes and, uh, like that's always going to kind of be the focus is what I guess I'm trying to get at. And so technologies are going to come and go that try and like solve those problems or make them more efficient. And so, um, you know, I, I don't have some super hot, like, Hey, chat GBT is going to like revolutionize things. Yeah. I think it's going to play a major factor, but at the end of the day, stepping back, it's gotta be, you know, moving one of those needles. I see a lot of technologies hit our space that aren't very thought through that, you know, don't think about the, seller experience and like really what they're trying to do. Um, and so I think along those four buckets, it's just going to continue to evolve um, and, and move forward, right? I don't ever foresee a world, I mean, as a buyer, I don't ever want to be sold to by a, a artificial intelligence, right? And that's like maybe naive of me to say, right? Who knows where it'll go. Um, but on the flip side, like a lot of, and there's certain solutions to be honest with you, where like, I'm totally fine with that. Right. But like, I've had really beneficial partnerships with some key vendors, Salesforce being one of them over the years where they're truly a strategic partner. Right. And I can't, I can't do that with AI at this point. It's not like I can go to some, you know, chat GBT script, whatever, and say, Hey, like I want to learn from Salesforce on how they're doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah, sure. They can probably find a decent amount of information, but there's just that human interaction. So I'm on a bit of a tangent here, but ultimately I think if, you know, can we improve sellers uh, efficiency, get them selling, finding the right customers and really managing that customer experience. Like there's going to be technologies that really help us, um, you know, improve those, those experiences and that efficiency. So it sounds like, Brandon, what you're saying is when you have 
new tech, obviously in the future, there's more enhancements in technology of all kinds, AI or machine learning, blockchain, whatever the, the buzzword is or whatever the technology is. But if they have to go back to the mechanics when it comes to RevOps of helping people sell more effectively or more efficiently yeah. like at the seller experience, that buying experience. And so whatever the tool is, if it does that well, that's going to be something that most people at RevOps will adapt. Is that kind of what, what you're... Yeah, I think exactly. If you think of it that way, what what is like kind of a, a tool, I guess, that might be useful in the future that is not maybe available now? Like, I mean, what... Will be would be something that could roll out something like a like a CPQ metric now if it was there or something like that. I mean, do you think can you think of a of a, of, a, of an ideal tool that the RevOps world will need or, or anything like that? There's kind of two core points within the the kind of revenue cycle um, that I think are um, th- there's opportunity. One is kind of in finding that ideal customer profile. Um, and there's just so much, right? Like, are they able to engage when they're looking, um, you know, finding the folks that actually meet their criteria um, and then prepping the sales rep. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I think the second piece that's a interesting that I'm not hearing a lot of is the kind of other core inflection point is really that kind of pricing and configuration, right? Um, I Historically, I think it's been a very... I'm going to say uninformed because I know I've done it personally. I've seen a lot of people do a lot of data analysis to be able to recommend certain pricing packages. But I also think like that's maybe at the like, what is our total offering? But then at the individualized customer level, it's kind of thrown over to a sale, the seller themselves and maybe like a, uh, some deal desk person to kind of figure out what actually meets the needs of the customer. And that's where it could be really interesting. Things can go really wrong. Um, in the selling cycle, if you don't present it right now, you can always recover from it. But it, it you know, if you're not <clears throat> aligned on pricing, kind of their needs, that's where things kind of fall apart. I think a lot of times, you know, sellers kind of sit back and be like, okay, you know, here's the big, here's the big pitch, here's our pricing, here's what we've proposed, um, and it, it it can create some problems. Now, it's not one and done. I think really good sellers actually like created as a discussion throughout multiple conversations. Um, but that would be one where it's, I think, really interesting that I'm not seeing much, um, <clears throat> much like use of AI and some of these like newer technologies on. Um, it's because look, like the hardest part is getting them in the funnel. But like once they're in the funnel, man, that's that's where we should be just yeah. you know, crushing it, right? It, how like we all know how much effort it is to get them in the top of the funnel to then lose it is like painful. And so if we can, you know, even move our win rate up from thirty percent to forty percent, like the impact to our business is just massively material. And so I think a lot of times we don't um, think about that. And um, and also like maybe along those lines, a little bit more broad, the same thing is like, how are we engaging with those customers? Um, we've done some interesting analytics over the years where you can look at literally win rates just drop precipitously based on like your the way you engage, right? Um, and the frequency in which you're engaging. And, you know, it may be, correlative or maybe, you know, actual causation, but, um, either way, like being more, um, informed, whether it's just with data, whether it's with, you know, some sort of AI, I think could be really interesting as well. Appreciate those. And so let's, uh, let's go into the past a little bit that we went to the future. Let's go to the past. I mean, so what, what, uh, what, what got you, what got you here? I mean, like into RevOps, were you always in, in the marketing? I mean, what, what's, uh, what's your story? 
I don't know. I say like I've got an, a non-traditional path, but I don't know that there is a traditional path yet into RevOps, which hopefully is something to change, right? Um, and that like, as we work with kind of the undergrads and the universities to start actually recognizing the discipline and having people, you know, coming straight into the, um, into this discipline, I think is really exciting. So my background, I came up through finance and FP&A, um, and, and then made the switch to RevOps, uh, I don't know, a number of years ago, it's been a while. Um, but one of the things that I loved about that was, I think I wanted RevOps. I just didn't know. And it didn't really exist at that point because I think about a lot of my, um, organizations that I supported, a lot of it was just very RevOps type work, right? Whether I was supporting the sales team and thinking about forecasts and, um, you know, staffing and some of those types of things and some of the operational metrics, like very, very traditional RevOps now, and then supporting some of the post-sales, um, services and how do you support the customer experience and some of those types of things. So, um, you know, spent a number of years doing that, uh, at, you know, multiple tech companies and then kind of found this RevOps space. And at the time it was like branded right as sales ops because RevOps, you know, went through some evolutions and I was like, this is, this is what I've been looking for. Right. I love working with, um, the revenue organizations and a chance to like really get entrenched with them. I think is was was really exciting. That's how I kind of f- fell into it, and then I've been in, in it ever since. And was like, I mean, was there uh, like a particular role or a mentor who kind of got you, kind of got got you got you into it? I mean, outside of outside of just kind of stumbling into it, or not necessarily. I so I was currently at the time was working in finance at Amazon, and I had a yes. buddy that moved down here to Utah and was working at Qualtrics, and he said, "Hey, come." come meet some folks there. And so I did. And just, cause I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to move back more into the business. Um, and then I met kind of the leader of this sales ops organization. And he, so he was probably influential. And then this other individual that has, um, who I was kind of backfilling were two folks that have kind of continued to be mentors to me today, as I kind of think about, um, what I've done, but you know, meeting with them, them kind of explaining what the the discipline is and what the role is, and then obviously joining the company and then um, having them as a manager. They kind of really helped me think about things, teach me the ropes, um, especially with you know some of the standard kind of sales um, metrics. I mean, you name it. They kind of follow the frameworks or uh, what's the word I'm like foundation, foundation, foundational skills within within sales. So they they I think really helped me in that first manager. Uh, was was really helpful to me. You know what? What do you what do you do when you're not when you're not doing the, the RevOps thing? I mean, what 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 do you what do you do for fun outside of outside of this, uh, this wild wild west that we're in with RevOps? Yeah. What, what do you what do you? Um, do? And I, I've actually like I play a lot of hockey. Um, oh, nice hockey! And so um, I like it's like old man hockey, not like nothing exciting, but it's just nice to get out there. You know, work hard, maybe hit a few people, kind of a thing. Get some frustration out even though we're not supposed to, right? Kind of a thing. So that's like one of our big things. And then just being outside, right? I think that's one of the things that, especially with the kind of remote work is, I think we were all really good about it at the beginning of the pandemic. Like I felt like everyone was like, oh, I'm taking my daily walk and some of those types of things. And then I feel like we all kind of got into this rut. And so really trying to just keep some of those things alive um, of just getting out, stretching my legs, uh, whether it's walking the dog, I mean, you name it, just trying to trying to stay active, I think really helps. Yeah, it's kind of like hockey's kind of like change management in Red Bulls, right? There's all this blocking and tackling and, you yeah. know, like, well, no, body checking, not block, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff, cross-checking, exactly. whatever. Sometimes, you know, you just got to 
Maybe like, you know, stick, get a little guy stick in the back to yeah. move a little bit. You know, like. I, we could spend another hour talking about the metaphors of, of hockey <laughs> and RevOps because there's there's a whole bunch of them. There's tons of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, you know penalty box. You got to be giving timeouts for five minutes. You know, you got to yeah. go to power play when they're out on vacation. You got to get things done. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Man, you got it. You got it nailed. This is great. All right. So, uh, what about Unicorn RevOps? What can you tell us about them? So, we are a consulting firm and it, it kind of has been interesting. Um, I've, I've done the operator thing for a number of years and just loved it. Right. I love like building a team. Um, but one of the things that's been fun is my former manager at Qualtrics, uh, we were kind of chatting and he said, Hey, I've been doing this for about three years. Um, and it's kind of been, I don't say informal, like he was doing it very much, but he was, he was, he just kind of jumped into it. Um, and so he, he pulled me in to work with a couple of clients and it was just a ton of fun, right? Especially like, I don't know, maybe I've I've figured out a few things in the past. And I feel like there's some value I can add, especially with some of these early startups, um, to where we can come in, take a look at this is you know some of the you name it, right? Anything within kind of the revenue discipline and and help them set it up um, early on. The reality is they don't need me full time, right? I don't think I actually would be. I think I'd kind of get bored full time because you know. I need a lot of meaty pro- problems to really kind of keep me focused and things like that. And and a lot of these early stage companies, they're just finding their kind of initial go to market, right? And but we can come in, spend a little bit of time with them, and really set them up on a great place um, to kind of accelerate their growth, right? And I mean, how many times have we come in? And and maybe this is kind of what drew me to it. I've come in, inherited many teams, and you just feel like the first six months, all you're doing is fixing like the problems that. And, and and not that anyone screwed up. It's just you had someone building a Salesforce instance that had literally never hadn't been certified. This is the first time they've ever even seen one. Um, and things, and that's generally what happens. And you you have a lot of these like smart individuals, but they just haven't seen it at scale. And so you kind of come in and have to fix it. So that's one of the things that's been fun is really helping set up some of these um, problems at scale, and then working with kind of some of these larger companies that are starting to really scale. And helping them kind of find these problems, triage them, um, and, and and help them fix them, right? Because there's always there's always value that we can co and help hopefully unlock with these customers. And so that's what's been, I think, a lot of fun and something where um, as we work and partner with these companies, you know, seeing them like actually um, seeing us being able to really add value to them um, has been a lot of fun. Sounds really uh, sounds really amazing. Look, this was a this is a really really good conversation. Uh, you know, anybody, anybody who can kind of combine Rolodexes with RevOps and and the hockey rink, I mean, he's, he's knows their stuff in the in, in, in this space, Brandon. So I mean, I just uh, can't thank you enough for making time to come out and uh, talk to us a little bit about these things and and you know your go to market expertise. Yeah, I appreciate the time, Sajil. It was fun chatting. Yeah, so I mean, well, everybody, uh, that's a. Uh, been another episode of RevOps 500. If you learn anything about anything about RevOps from from the show, please give us a listen. Tell your friends about it, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll chat again soon. So thanks again, Brendan. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of RevOps 500. Thanks for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at RevOps500.com. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Copyfit, providing technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing.